0: Eye on Horror, the official podcast of iHorror.com. This is episode 58, otherwise known as season 4, episode 1. The season 4 premiere, if you will. Woo! Yeah, we're back. Heard you missed us. Uh, I'm your host, James J. Edwards, and with me for another season and probably for the rest of our lives is your other host, Jacob Davison. How are you doing, Jacob? Doing well and happy to bring in the
1: first episode in the futuristic year
0: of twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one is is twenty twenty one when Mad Max takes place. Uh, no, that that's uh, Johnny Mnemonic. Okay, twenty twenty two is Soylent Green. So we're getting into some dystopia here. Yeah, but I'll be bringing up Johnny Mnemonic again in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I don't want you to, to tip your hand too quickly. Uh, also with us yet again, still for the end of time, is your other other host, John Correa. How you doing, John? Doing well. Uh, C-Lab
2: 2021 takes place in 21, so there's hey, that. there you go. I'll just be quoting that all fucking year. <laughs> uh Yes. Uh, damn it, already swearing. We just started the new season, and I'm already swearing.
0: I, I check the explicit language box every time I publish, so you're, <laughs> you're good. Uh, also, to start us off this season, we have a guest that we're all pretty pumped about here. Um, you probably heard Jacob talking about the movie Psycho Gorman or PG. Uh, we have the writer-director, Stephen Kostansky, with us. How you doing, Stephen? I'm good. Glad to be on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, thanks for being here. We, we've been... Jacob in particular but all of us have been looking forward to talking with you. All oh, right. On. Let's uh, let's start off. with, It's been a while. How was your guys holiday? Do anything absolutely cool?
1: Uh my 2020 ended as fun on as it could. Uh my thermostat exploded. Yikes. Yeah. Like uh, we were trying to turn on the heat and it exploded like in the literal sense. Like well yeah, how bad like did, did it
0: just blow off the wall or I mean, uh,
1: no one was hurt right no 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 they and nobody was hurt there was no fire but it just kind of sparked and smoked so you know if, if there was just any form of symbolism to the end of last <laughs> year you know that that was that was it um yeah just uh, yeah that and that was my New Year's Eve oh that was New Year's Eve Ugh. yeah oh yikes.
2: It's okay. I, I started keto again right after Christmas. And uh, so I was having like the keto flu on my New Year's Eve. So let's just say it took us like three hours to watch an hour and a half movie because I had to keep pausing to go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh. so
0: that's how I spent my New Year's Eve for 2020. I've been buried in award screeners like I think I've complained about. I mean, it's a first world problem, but um, I I am to the point now where I am pulling up the YouTube app on my... Roku and watching car crash videos and hockey fights just because I want something other than movies like, you know, pieces of a woman and the life ahead, you know, these uh, Mm. awards bait movies, which, you know, Pieces of a woman was good. The life ahead, not so much, but anyway.
1: Yeah. Like, uh, as I was saying before, I decided to start uh, 2021 off. Right. So I watched Johnny Manomac, the uh, nineties Keanu Reeves, cyberpunk movie which uh, I'd never seen before, but a lot of people are mentioning it took place in 2021 and it was pretty crazy and, you know, sounded up my alley. And I actually really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun.
3: Doesn't it open with a title card that says the Internet
1: 2021?
3: Yes, or it does. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like flying through like <laughs> looks like reboot like just like bad CG cubes.
1: Oh, oh yeah I love that bad 90s there's CG. a lot of that I love that stuff and among other uh, highlights it's got uh, Dolph Lundgren as a cyborg uh, Jesus freak assassin and uh, a dolphin cyborg hacker like a literal dolphin that is also a hacker and makes um, sense yeah I, is there
3: a guy with like a laser whip thing yes that like, like cuts things
1: really yes easily? there's a the yakuza oh, assassin cool. who uses a laser whip as his weapon of choice and is
0: henry rollins in that he is as a doctor okay i was <laughs> i i seem to remember also i remember dweezil zappa in it but i might be getting confused he with is. running man no, he, oh dweezil's in, in it too
1: okay and Ice T as a leader of a rebel resistance <laughs> yeah and it's funny uh Yeah, because, like, yeah, the opening crawl talks about the uh, dystopia of 2021, and here's where it gets weird, because the main plot of the movie is there is a it's about a pandemic on the loose in this cyberpunk dystopia, and how they're in late-stage capitalism, and the corporations run everything, and you know, it's like the, you know, of all the dystopias, this one kind of got it right. I mean, it's, I mean, granted, uh, you know, there's no cool uh, virtual reality is mostly on PlayStation, but uh, I mean, some stuff that got more or less correct. Well, I, I have to ask, do, is the
2: dolphin hacker evil? Is he a bad guy? Uh, no, no, he's a good guy. He's then I, with the Then resistance. I don't believe it. I don't <laughs> believe it. Dolphins are evil, and anytime someone <laughs> says that they're good, like, I, I just call bullshit like that, so. Have you not watched Flipper? Dolphins are heroic creatures. Yeah, I don't watch propaganda that the dolphins <laughs> created to make us think that they're good, okay? Like, no, I don't believe that shit. Like, no, no. Dolphins are evil. I know what they did to Hank. Okay. okay oh we'll oh, God. To Hank, <laughs> oh
1: okay.
2: Never forget.
1: Yeah, but um, yeah. Now that uh, that was a fun way to start New Year's Day, and uh, also it's my favorite time of year, January Giallo. So I started going through the uh, Vinegar Syndrome Forgotten Gialli set. Like I watched uh, Police Are Blundering in the Dark last night.
0: Wait, yeah, say say that title. Clearly, because it's my favorite giallo title of all oh, time yes. since I saw you post about it. It's that, awesome. That's a good one.
1: <laughs> yes, the uh, title of the movie is police are blundering in the dark because it's about <laughs> uh, a series of model murders in Rome. And also the police a- have uh, basically been failing at solving the case for almost two years. So the headline is police bl- are blundering in the dark and more models are being killed m- while mostly naked. <laughs> Like
3: most shallows, yeah.
0: <laughs> there have been a couple of cool movies that my, my that my awards watching have brought me to, and, and I kind of want to share them. One is a movie called Alone. That um, there are two horror movies in 2020 called Alone. This one's directed by John Hyams, who did um a couple of the Universal Soldier movies, and it starts off um a lot like Unhinged, you know, with just like this road rage encounter, but then it. Goes to darker places, if you can believe it, darker than unhinged. And another one is a movie called, I, I'm going to say this wrong, Bacurau. Bacurau? I think it's Brazilian. It's about this town that, um, basically it, it starts disappearing they, they can't find it on maps or on gps or any of that stuff and it turns out there's a reason why they can't find it and the locals are there's something happening to the locals that i don't want to spoil it because it's pretty it's a pretty crazy movie it's called it's b-a-c-u-r-a-u bakurao i think it's the name of the town anyway korea
2: Well, it felt fitting on New Year's Eve, you know, uh, not leaving the house. So, of course, we had a movie marathon. It felt fitting to uh, watch The World's End uh, by Edgar Wright again, uh, you know, going into 2021. It, It just felt, yeah felt good and you know what i i have to say i've always loved that movie but i've always denied it being my favorite of the cornetto and blood trilogy but i, I have to say now after re-watching them in 4k um yeah dude the world's end is i, I don't know it's it feels a little blasphemous same, but it is my favorite of the cornetto and blood trilogy now um, wow i i know i know i'm gonna be <laughs> a big takes big takes here big takes um, mr
1: takes but
2: but other than that um I I got a few new Blu-rays uh I got Synapse's Massacre at Central High uh which is an Beautiful set. I knew nothing about this film, but just solely based on the fact that they gave it the same treatment as uh, the Living Dead at Manchester Morgue and Suspiria, I was like, okay, this film has to be, you know, pretty special for them to give it uh, this, steel, this you know steelbook with the slip and new restoration and all that. And yeah, it's a it's an interesting movie. It's a total. Um, it's about uh, these high school kids that are getting killed uh, by this. Not that mysterious killer, but I don't want to spoil anything. Um, but like, it's it's like a slasher film, but there's no slashings. Everyone's either killed by like some form of gravity kill or an explosion. Um, you can definitely see the how the film in, went on to influence like Heather's and stuff like that. Uh, but the whole film is like uh, Lord of the Flies, but in a South Cal-, Cal Southern California high school. You don't see any adults until like the very end. Uh, So it's just focused on these kids and it's, it's like a total uh, critique on fascism. Uh, It's, it's very interesting. I had a lot of fun with it, but the restoration on it was incredible. That film looked like so good. Uh, And it had, it felt like it had no right to look that good, but it did. Uh, They really knocked it out of the park. Is it a better restoration than the legend of Boggy Creek? (laughs) <laughs> hey man they did they did an excellent job with legend of Boggy creek oh
0: that's what i'm saying that, oh, okay that movie has no re- right to look as good as it does same with what is it uh the town the dreaded sundown that yeah. scream did that's another yeah. one it's like who made this look this good
2: yeah <laughs> these previously very dirty films suddenly look absolutely brilliant yeah uh i also uh got arrow's new 4k for tremors which yeah as usual, they always knock it out of the park with their packaging uh, with those special editions. But that was another transfer that looks phenomenal. Like, I never really gave the Tremors franchise a chance before, I think, in previous episodes. I didn't shit on it, but, like, I definitely was like, I'm not a Tremors fan.
3: <laughs> oh, man. First Tremors is the best.
0: Hell oh, yeah. yeah. I was going to say not even the first one.
3: Yeah, that movie's a classic.
2: Yes i gave it a genuine chance and i and i ended up loving it yeah i'm a i'm a i'm a tremors fan for the first one at least i'm gonna try to watch the sequel set some i
0: point. I, I i would stop there if you were a fan <laughs> yeah <now>. good
2: <laughs> you peaked with one it peaked with one but there's so many like why not just give it a shot i already owned them yeah,
1: some are better than others
2: <laughs> yeah they're not all bad I'm, I'm a little too busy with my Rocky Marathon right now. <laughs> we just got through six, so on to oh. the Creed movies. Six is great.
0: The sixth one is Rocky Balboa, right? That's yep. like the... Okay. So there's eight movies, because if you count Creed and Creed 2. Steven, what have you been watching? Share with us some... Uh, <laughs> what's going on with, the, with of, your viewing? Speaking of
3: your, you watching, uh, like, awards caliber films, I ended... <laughs> 2020 watching Freddy's dead to the final nightmare, uh, <laughs> nice. which was just as bad as I remember it being. <laughs> um,
2: I watched that one recently too. And it's actually
3: worse than I remembered it. Like, I remember having fun with it. The... I think five is still my least favorite five. I think is like borderline unwatchable. I watched that one the day before, because um, for some reason I've decided like I, I should give the like lesser nightmare sequels, the chance and see what's up with them. And uh, so, yeah, I ended 2020 with Freddy's dead. It was awful. And then uh, I believe it was new year's day. I finally got around to watching judgment night,
0: which I had never seen. Oh, with Emilio Estevez. And yeah. Yeah. Okay. And
3: holy shit. Does that movie rule? That movie uh, totally I rules. Recommend it. it kicks so much ass. It's such a fun premise. And Dennis Leary is the bad guy. <laughs> Is like to- a totally crazy and inspired choice. Yeah, it's a super fun, super fun movie. Like it, it reminds me a little bit of uh, this kind of forgotten. I think Empire produced it or acquired it in the '80s. This movie called Enemy Territory, um, where it's like you have kind of like uh, snobby, snobby white people in kind of like the scummy part of town, and like them getting into a lot of shit and dealing with gangs and stuff and just kind of like, like, like a survival story, like, like in the streets trying to like, f- you know, fight their way to safety. It's super fun. Uh, highly recommend it. Uh, and then I followed that up with the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street, which I oh, had God. never sat through in its entirety, but my morbid curiosity got the better of me. And I was like, I kind of feel like I need a bit of that, like late, 2000s grunge look that like polished music video saw movie grunge Uh, so I figured I'd give it a shot and uh, yeah it was awful to no one's surprise I'm sure Uh, borderline unwatchable
0: is it worse than part 5 in your opinion
3: (sighs) I would rather watch any of the England movies because yeah Jack Uriel Haley is a good actor but like his I don't know, I just think his Freddy sucks. It's boring, it's mm. like dead serious.
0: Freddy is so ingrained in popular culture now that it's hard to imagine it being anyone but Robert England at this point. Yeah. Well those movies
3: are so much just Robert England's movies, more so than other like more so than Halloween or night or Friday the thirteenth. Like those franchises swap out the actor playing the killer like pretty regularly whereas Nightmare on Elm Street it's all about Robert Englund so to like take that element away it, it immediately like cripples your movie and it doesn't help that the movie itself is like super uninspired like like there's nothing memorable in any of the dream sequences like no. it just it, yeah I don't know it's just like the most polished bland movie I've seen in a while like I, like I forgot most of it as soon as it was done.
0: Yeah. My big problem with the nightmare remake is at one point they go into it. They're like, it's like, they're making Freddie sympathetic. They're like, oh, oh, he was framed. He didn't do That's this
3: very and, confusing. And I then, understand and then
0: they all that. of a sudden they pull that rug off. From and you go, no, he's guilty <laughs> as fuck. You know? And you're like, yeah. why even go down that road? <laughs> yeah. It's, it was a very confusing
3: choice. And I think it was them attempting to have a plot because another, like another thing you'll notice with that movie is that it's like the second shot of the movie is like Freddy showing up. Like he, um, it's immediately a dream sequence. Immediately Freddy shows up. Immediately bad shit's happening. And there's no, there's no like preamble of like teens being teens and doing teen stuff. And like, <laughs> you, don't, you don't get a sense of anybody's like life or this community. Like it, it feels so much like you feel the artifice of it. So immediately because you're instantly thrown into like this super serious situation of teens dying. Yeah. And so I think by getting rid of basically act one, they've had to figure out something for the kids to do for the rest of the movie. So it was like, well, let's maybe pose this idea that maybe he's not like, maybe he was wrongfully accused. And then it's like, they're solving a bit of a mystery to fill up some of the runtime. And then, then the big twist is, Oh no, he actually, he actually is evil and it uh, you know amounts to nothing but i really think it was just a like they need to we need more scenes of them like searching the internet and then talking to people <laughs> and asking questions just to like get to 90 minutes
2: that was one of the things that actually had me looking forward to the remake because i i don't mind remakes as long as you do something different with enough with it two of my favorite movies are remakes the fly and the thing you know uh you just gotta make it your own and I really dug the idea of taking Jackie Earl Haley and like making him a very serious no no fucking around Freddy and uh by doing that plot of oh he was framed he was innocent and they murdered him so he's a vengeance demon I was really stoked about that, but boy, yeah, they bungled the shit out of it. And you're right. None of the nightmares. You have all this like advances in technology. You could have done some really cool and gnarly stuff with the,
3: and they were so boring. And uh, yeah. Well, and like taking practical gags from the first movie and like pasting a layer of CG over it. Like the Freddie, like pushing through the wall gag yeah. It almost feels like they added that after because they're like, "Oh, right, that gag that everybody likes that we didn't do." Cuz it feels rushed. It yeah. s- accomplishes nothing and it looks super bad. It's like, "Why didn't you just make a rubber wall like in the first movie?" Yeah. So, yeah, just a lot of like misguided choices. It just really feels like like you know that feeling when you're watching a movie that's clearly just a product. Like that's what it feels like. It feels like we got this name, we know when this is if this comes out it'll make at a bare minimum this much money. Yep. And so whatever like just fill that 90 minutes with stuff and we'll make our profit and let's move on. Like it just feels so by the numbers uh that yeah, it's like there's really no reason to give it a rewatch, I'm gonna say. <laughs> But I took that bullet for all you guys. You don't need to go back to that movie. <laughs> Thank can you. confirm
0: that now. Yeah. But before we move on to the interview section, I just I want to jump back to Judgment Night because you can't talk about Judgment Night without mentioning that incredible soundtrack. was oh, a great yeah, soundtrack. Yeah. It is, it, what they did is, and I remember, I mean, I'm old enough to remember when Judgment Night came out in theaters. They basically teamed up rap artists with heavy metal and hard rock artists. So you have like House of Pain and Helmet, you know, doing a song, or you've got um, Run DMC and Living Color, and I think Ooh. Slayer and Ice T. I mean, it <laughs> and the whole thing it just reeks of that um, that post grunge '90s, you know, drop detuned, you know, heavy aesthetic. But then you've got the rap over it. So I mean, it kind of was it it kind of invented new metal before <laughs> new metal was a thing. I mean, so we can blame That's Judgment Night fair. for Limp Biscuit, I guess.
1: <laughs> well, you take the good with the bad because you got a good movie out of it, but you also got New Metal.
3: We should thank Judgment Night for bringing us Limp Bizkit, is what you should be saying. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> Fair, Okay, point taken. And take. the Mission
3: Impossible 2 theme.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. And by product,
2: we have to thank Judgment Night for creating New Metal because New Metal and Limp Bizkit inspire Triple X and okay. without triple x we wouldn't have triple x3 the return
3: of xander cage so which is a great movie well and oh. also we wouldn't have the soundtrack to freddie versus jason not to constantly oh, steer yeah. back to freddie <laughs> but man that is a great 2003 soundtrack oh, so yeah, if you want if you want a perfect time stamp of 2003 on the dot <laughs> it's that movie's soundtrack that and Resident Evil, the, res- oh, yeah. <laughs> the oh, original yeah.
2: Resident Evil soundtrack.
3: <laughs> oh, the one where it's isn't it like Marilyn Manson and who uh, I don't remember the composer's name, but yeah, you like teamed up with the composer and did a bunch of tracks on it, and it boy is that 2002.
0: Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's uh let's jump into this. um Let's start with the with the typical question: How did you get started making movies, Stephen?
3: Uh. I mean, that is, that is a long story, but I guess <laughs> the beginning of it is that, uh, I mean, as a kid, obviously, I love movies. Some of my earliest memories are of, the you know, walking through the video store, looking at covers, uh, you know, being fascinated by some VHS covers, being terrified of others. I have a very vivid memory. Here I go again, bringing up Freddie. <laughs> uh, vivid memory of a standee for Wes Craven's New Nightmare of freddy Mm. but it's like in all the promotional material he had like the mechanical glove not the glove that he has in the movie so he had like a robot hand and being like terrified of that standy but also kind of curious as to why he had a robot claw hand uh so i found a lot of stuff in the video store like really engaged my my kid imagination uh and then i feel like it all went south when my dad put one of our vcrs in the basement which then gave me access to just watching whatever movies I wanted. Uh, like whatever we had dubbed. Cause of course I had a dad who would rent movies and then dub copies of them. Like on what, what was the, what was the shitty fast speed on VHS? Was it SP? The one where you could record, you could put like a few movies on one tape, but it looked like shit. <laughs> like,
0: Oh, a- uh, SLP.
3: Yeah. So it was, we just had all these crudely labeled tapes with all these movies on them, like robot jocks and stuff that I would just endlessly watch in the basement. And it was my ability to kind of like obsess over movies. Whereas before it was like, you know, as a kid, it's like a, like kind of a family event. You're watching movies and that's all it was. But once I had the ability to like pause and rewind and like revisit moments. Like that's when I really clicked. I was like, Oh, like I want to like, I want to start making stuff like this. Cause I I'd, I'd always been very like artsy. My mom's an artist. Uh, my dad's more technical and I feel like I kind of combined their influences into filmmaking. And so my dad loaned me his super eight camera when I was 12, I think. And I started doing really crude stop motion animations, uh, in the basement. And it was of an era where, like, you're shooting on film, so you have to, like, physically send away the reel once you've done shooting. You wait a month and it gets mailed back. And then you have to set up a projector to play this this little movie that you've made. Um, so I'd spend months animating these things and then get these reels back and discover that, like, the film was underexposed and like it was basically be like months of time wasted i'd just be looking at a black screen with nothing so i just kept persisting at these animations uh, until finally i figured out how to set the exposure on this camera and i started seeing some results some uh like actual animation coming through and uh yeah that was really the start of it because then after that I, i transitioned into like like making full scale stuff. Cause I was, I like making little monsters out of clay and I was like, well, I want to make big monsters too. And uh, I guess another pivotal moment was my parents got me army darkness, like the VHS of army darkness that anchor Bay put out that had all the bonus features at the end of the tape. And so I remember getting that for Christmas one year and then watching it and watching the bonus features and seeing all the guys, at Kane be effects making like the the bog witch lady in army of darkness and uh like them talking about all the like skeleton mass and the story of how they like made a b and c mass like hero mass and then background mass and then in shots in the movie they like mix them up so there's like clearly background mass in the foreground and as a kid i just found this so fascinating i was like wow this is like making movies like the mystique had been pulled away and it's like oh it's just like a bunch of goons like in heavy metal shirts (laughs) like like hanging out in a shop just like throwing clay around and like like just seeing that dynamic of like sam Raimi and bruce campbell like like there's just so much personality there that it really inspired me and i was like oh like it's just a bunch of friends like having fun out in the desert with skeleton puppets like i want to do that and so that really like pushed my brain over the edge and i haven't stopped since
0: that was basically the start of it what was the first movie that that you made? Was it with the Astron Six guys, or was oh, it on your? No,
3: I had made so many movies before that. I done tons of animations. Uh, like eventually, I shifted to digital. And so, in high school, uh, I basically every year I'd make a stop motion animation. Like every year, I would set a goal of like make a little five minute movie. Uh, so I made a bunch of animations. Uh, most of them not memorable. One of them was called nightfall. That was kind of like a loose adaptation of I am legend. Cause I was obsessed with that book when I was like 15. And at the time I was like, Oh, like I'd love to make a movie out of this. Like, imagine how cool a movie of I am legend would be. You know, this is a decade before, uh, Will Smith showed us what that movie would be. Yeah. Um, and so I made this little animation of this guy trapped in a house and every night vampires come in and attack the house and uh, we actually showed it at an assembly at my school. Like the whole school was in the gym while watching this movie. And the movie had, I put in a very overt jump scare that if you're watching it at home or on your computer, it's not going to get you. But for some reason it landed like gangbusters with the entire school in attendance. And it was one of those great scares where everybody freaked out. Everybody screamed and then it led into the like post freak out, like laughter, like kind of quiet discussion of like, Oh my God, I can't believe that happened. And just sitting in the audience, like with like hundreds of kids, like watching this happen was, it's still like one of the highlights of my film career. Cause it's, that's the reaction you want when you're making movies is you want to be able to like, you want to know that you have that control over the audience to like, kind of slap them around a bit but then also kind of like make them like it if that makes sense like like they're getting knocked around and they're on this roller coaster but they're right into it and just that feeling of uh like captivating my uh grade school audience like that was really really satisfying as a kid so i mean nightfall was a notable uh early short film of mine
0: can we see these anywhere? Are they on YouTube or anything? Any of your uh, early shorts?
3: No. You they, don't like, want I'm us to see these them? Are, these are so early that I would be embarrassed to oh, okay. show anywhere. I Yeah, I have, I have to have a cutoff point somewhere. Like, I mean, I've been making stuff since I was 12 years old. And like, yeah.
0: <laughs> but you sold that jump scare to us so hard. Now we yeah. want to see it. I know. I sold you.
3: The, <laughs> I sold you. See, this is what I'm doing. Is I sold you the story of it. And now wow. that you'll... You'll never see it, so you'll always have this image in your mind of this perfect jump scare. And I'm <laughs> just going to leave you with, yeah, I'm going to leave you with that, and you'll carry that with you forever, never knowing, <laughs> how, un, never knowing how underwhelming it truly was. Because like I said, it was just a perfect alignment of like, like the right crowd, captivated audience, like just the right sound system. Like you need all those elements to line up for a thing to work. And mm. it was the first experience I had of all of that, coalescing into like the the payoff that a filmmaker wants to get when
0: they're making a movie and now you have us thinking you're this genius and we're never going to get to see this genius work (laughs) what what he's trying to say (laughs) is
2: he's he has put it online before and uh, and, he got crapped on no
3: oh i definitely showed it to the Astron guys and they shit all over it so that's another reason why i don't want (laughs) to i don't want to put it out there because yeah <laughs> You're right. It's already been ripped on. So I don't need any more of that. Now, how did you get hooked up with the Astron Six guys? Uh, so, how that happened was there was a local film festival uh, in Winnipeg called the Winnipeg Short Film Massacre, uh, which was co run by uh, Jeremy Gillespie, who's one of the Astron guys. Um, and in Winnipeg, it was like the go to thing to do on Halloween because all local filmmakers would submit their horror short films that they made to this film festival. It was like an amateur uh, film festival and Halloween themed. So they had to be horror shorts. And so everybody would submit their movies. They'd pick 10. You'd go to this screening where they'd screen all the movies. And then a panel of judges would pick the top three uh, short films. And so I submitted my movie. Well, actually, no, I got to back up a little bit. It's a convoluted story. But I actually met Adam Brooks because he was a uh, friend, like friend of a friend, like we had a, a mutual friend, his brother Adam was friends with. And so I had he'd kind of like circled around like kind of the friend groups that I hung around with, even though he's like 15 years older than me. But uh, I, I had known him kind of in the community a little bit and eventually we we kind of realized we both like making movies. So Adam started helping me out on my projects. I started helping him out. He was the one that convinced me to start submitting my shorts to the Winnipeg short film massacre. I made a short film called Carl. That was like a stop motion horror short. So that was my first submission. Uh, And then actually, no back it up. I made a short film called fantasy beyond. And that was, I believe that was my first submission to the Winnipeg short film massacre. Which I won that year. Um, and then I won every year after that for three years straight. And so through that festival, I met uh, Matt and Connor, who were also submitting their Grey Point shorts. And so that was just kind of how all of us got into the same room with each other because we'd be watching our movies and like Adam would submit a movie, I'd submit a movie, Matt and Connor would submit a movie, Jeremy would be running the festival. And so. That kind of got all of us in the same sphere. And we realized we all liked the same stuff. And uh so I believe it was the following year that we were all we had all helped each other on our shorts. I had helped me and Adam helped Matt and Connor on HIZ. Um, I had made a short called Insane Ophenia that the guys had helped out on. Um, and so Adam made a movie called Sebastian and Allen. And so we had all like decided, hey, wouldn't it be cool to have like a like an old VHS company type logo, like a Vestron logo before everything? And so just kind of on a whim, we put that logo before all our shorts. And so this film festival, like suddenly every second movie had this Astron 6 logo at the beginning. And it just took off from there where we're like, this is super fun. It's like we've got like our own crappy little production company like making these little movies. And we're all clearly on the same page about the kind of stuff we like making and why not just help each other out? Like, cause we clearly were skilled in different areas. And so, yeah, like Matt and Connor would act and stuff. Adam would act and stuff. I'd help do effects on everybody's movies. Jeremy would do music and we'd all just kind of share skills and talents. And that's how Astron six started. That's awesome. (laughs) Sorry. It's a very convoluted story, but, uh, yeah, it, it all just happened so naturally the way it progressed. Like it was very clear, like at this festival, watching each other's movies that like, like we all share like a similar passion and just have talents in different areas. So it made sense to team up and uh, we're just such like a misfit group of guys that I, I still feel like we, we, if we didn't share the love of like filmmaking and movies, like, we probably would not share a friendship. Obviously it's grown into more than that. Like since then, like we, you know, have bonded pretty tightly, like over the years, but at the time, like I just felt like we all came from such different places that it was an interesting way to like mix us up, which I guess is like true of any kind of filmmaking, like working on any set, like you're getting such a, like a, a variety of people getting mashed together. And so, yeah, we're just a, an interesting and eclectic mix of personalities that led to some some interesting product.
0: The first Astron 6 that I was exposed to uh, was Father's Day. And my, my impression from Father's Day, watching it on the screen, is it just looked like five guys having the time of their lives making a movie. Was it like that, or was it a little more stressful? <laughs> uh,
3: I mean, Father's Day was a stressful nightmare, and... I feel this is going to be a consistent story with every movie that I talk about is that the actual like process of making movies is hell. And it definitely was on that movie. And I have to say upfront that the brunt of it was taken by the rest of the team, especially Adam Brooks. Like he really like carried the weight of that movie more than anyone else. Like he was the one that had to deal with trauma and, uh, I would not wish that on anyone. Uh, It was tough making it because we were all spread across the country at the time. So Matt and Connor were in BC. uh, Jeremy and I are in Toronto and Adam was left alone in Winnipeg to try and sort all this out. So we'd only shoot when we were all back together for like, uh, like Christmas pretty much. So we tried to cram as much shooting into them as possible. And then any any subsequent trip that I made back, like I would try to help out and shoot stuff or build gags and things. But it was one of those things where like we signed on to do this thing and it all seemed kind of like seemed pretty great at the time. But then we realized like, Oh, we got to make a movie in like a year. Like there was like a hard deadline and they gave us, well, initially they were going to give us $5,000 to make it. And then we talked them up. We, we managed to raise that number to $10,000, uh, which for some reason at the time we're like, yeah, this seems feasible. Uh, like 100% is not. Um, so it was really just like the most guerrilla filmmaking imaginable. Um, and just shooting it kind of piecemeal, like whenever we can squeeze stuff in uh, just to make it work. So yeah, it was a real chaotic mess of a production. Uh, but I think, I do think you, you need some of that to get, get some personality in your movie, to get that passion on screen. I think the chaos sometimes translates into uh, fun filmmaking. And I think a lot of Father's Day has that.
0: You don't see any of that turmoil on screen, at least to me. I, For me, Father's Day is, it seems like the kind of thing that as soon as you guys say cut, everyone starts cracking up, you know, because of what you just shot. I mean, there was moments like that for sure. But I think that was more us losing
3: our minds <laughs> and laughing out of insanity, like laughing, laughing just to like keep from like sticking a gun in our mouths, <laughs> that kind of laughter. But uh yeah, I mean that's that's a real testament to the to the rest of the guys is that like they they're able to perform and like when they especially like Adam, Matt, and Connor, like when they're together, that's my favorite dynamic and I will try to put that in every movie I possibly can. Like having having those three guys in one space riffing is the best thing ever. And Father's Day, I think, out of all of Astron's movies, does that the best. Um and so it's a real testament to their abilities uh, as like actors and comedians to be able to like turn it on even in the worst situations and still be hilarious and charming and engaging. So, yeah, it's really like those guys, their performances and their characters and the dynamic between them, I think, is what carries that movie.
0: Now, we, I mean, it's going to seem like we're skipping ahead here, but we have to talk about Psycho Gorman because that's why we're here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's hop oh yeah through. that movie yeah <laughs> yeah the, the, the one that we're trying to get people to watch uh how was the because the, a couple of the astron guys helped out with that but it's not an astron 6 production correct no it's
3: its own weird thing okay. uh i mean in the same way that the void was its own weird thing i mean not everything is an astron 6 production i think like that brand it's pretty apparent what that brand is at this point and PG is very much a Steve Kostansky movie like through and through. Like that was, that was the offer that I was made from my very generous uh, financiers that approached me uh, after the void. They, I was basically given the offer of like, we want you to make something in the line of like more in line with like Mandorg like where we just kind of let you have free reign and just make something crazy and see what you come up with. And so yeah. I mean, I wrote this, wrote this treatment, uh, like, I don't know, it was over like a week or something. Like I, I had had this idea for a little while of like kind of pairing a monster with kids and, uh, specifically the image of like having a big like lumbering monster man sitting at a drum set always seemed funny to me. And then the, the lore that I've now built around the, the creation of this movie and this idea is that, uh, I was watching Rawhead Rex and sitting there bored because that movie's boring as hell. And uh, just thinking like, well, like I love this idea of like an ancient God monster that's resurrected, but it doesn't go anywhere th- where with that idea in my opinion. So I like the, I wanted to like see like what's the spin you can put on that concept. And uh, I was also like thinking about ET and that kind of like kids adventure premise and how, like there's never really been a dark version of that where it's like kids kids paired with an alien being, but what if that alien being was like the most horrible creature in the universe? And at no point does this being learn its lesson. It just stays evil, start to finish. And so that was that was where like the whole idea came together. And uh from that point on, it just I, I don't think I've ever had an idea like like a script come together as quickly as that one because it was just like throwing everything that i liked into one movie um because it so much of it is built on like half formed ideas of other things that i had and just kind of like mixing it all in a pot together and seeing what happens and it was easy once i had this through line of like what if these kids befriend a monster but like what if the kids are also crazy like once i had that dynamic settled it like it really just kind of fleshed itself out and uh, yeah, came together pretty easily. And that's, that's where the premise came from.
2: I was about to say, cause you, you talk a lot about psycho uh, PG being the ultimate evil, but watching the movie, I felt like he was like the title of most evil. He, he was kind of going toe to toe with the little girl a lot. Cause she was, was very evil uh, in a very like young child way.
3: Well, and that's a thing that I don't see in movies. It was another motivation to pursue this plot. Was that I don't see like kids acting like real kids in movies enough. Like I, I've got uh, like don't have kids myself, but I've got friends with kids and like younger relatives and things, and nobody has really tried to capture the dynamic of how crazy kids are and psychotic. Like, like kids can be <laughs> totally nuts in a very charming and lovable way where it's like kids have like that age before the world starts to break you down and you start to get like self-awareness and you start to get like, like kind of anxiety of how you're perceived. Like that era of being a kid is something I wanted to see more of where you're kind of like, you're the emperor of your own weird universe you know like where kids follow their own logic and their own rules and like and there's no talking sense into them like it's it's they totally are in this fantasy world and that's it and so i wanted that parallel between pg who is essentially the same thing like the point was to kind of draw parallels between like a skeletor or a darth vader um or a Cobra commander, like all these villainous characters that are entirely just built up on their own kind of pompousness and their own self-perception of how awesome they think they are. And then pairing that with a little kid who thinks the exact same way. Um, and then having those characters go toe to toe and show that they're essentially like mentally, they're the same thing. Um, so yeah, yeah, that, that was kind of what I wanted to achieve with that was like, have, have, <laughs> have like the most cosmic version of the ultimate evil and the smallest scale version. So the smallest scale, most innocent version of the ultimate evil and kind of pair them, put them against each other and see what happens.
1: Yeah. And I think that was uh, pretty well encapsulated with uh, one of my favorite kind of parts of the plot with uh, Crazy Ball. Yes. Uh, Yeah. yeah, I thought that. Uh, was a pretty interesting way of uh portraying that and with the inclusion of monsters just it
3: Yeah, well Crazy Ball was my way of visually representing yeah what's going on in a kid's head. And it's yeah. it's very obviously an homage also to Calvin and Hobbes.
4: Yes. Uh, yeah.
3: Because Calvin and Hobbes is a a comic strip I grew up on and, and love and still think is like one of the best character dynamics uh ever represented. And so I want to like pay a little homage to that um, because <laughs> Calvin is a character to me, very similar to Mimi where he's like totally in his own little world. Uh-huh. Um, so crazy ball was my, my homage to that. Well,
2: you had a lot of really great homages. There was one that uh, one phantasm uh, scene when they're in the nightmare realm, that was just absolutely hilarious. Um, when he visits him in the nightmare and it's, and it's
3: uh re- it's it's was it an homage to that scene in phantasm well because yes it 100 because the first time i watched phantasm and that happened my immediate question was well what happens after that (laughs)
4: Like, (laughs) like
3: there's and and i think it speaks to a lot of like dream sequences in movies where it's like where it doesn't show them waking up it's like okay so we pull back and we reveal the tall man standing there and zombies come out and it's like, does he just like roll around on the bed, going ah, like for another like two hours? Like, <laughs> what, what is what is after that? So I wanted to show like that there would be a conversation
4: <laughs> after
3: after the after the like jump scare. It's like, well, we have to do we have to fill up the time with something. So that, that was the
4: inspiration,
3: definitely the inspiration for that scene. And the character designs in your in this
2: film, uh, all the different aliens, all the different like they are really good. Uh, I, what were some of your, uh, influences with that? Cause like some of it, I was like, man, this feels like nineties Mark Hamill Giver.
3: Oh yeah. Oh, well, we, yeah. Me and Jacob have talked about this already. Yes. It's, it's very much power Rangers, uh, very much like common rider, uh, very much like, like I love the movie mechanical violator. Hakaider yes. is a good reference. um, yeah, that kind of like nineties like Japanese monster design. It's like like practical monster design where it's like it's like cool suits, but they also have to do cartwheels and high kicks. Like that I feel like it's like design that's specific to that. I really like. Yeah, it is it very much influenced by a lot of uh a lot of Japanese movies and shows uh, that I like it. I, and, and Guyver is really like the, the ultimate homage, I think, because I, I'm, I'm really genuinely disappointed that we don't have more media like that right now. Like even watching, like they made those, like, uh, and I'm you know, being very vague with these things I'm referencing. So I don't remember the titles offhand, but there's like those common rider, like, like they made like movies, uh, like in, I believe it was the nineties, they're kind of like little one-off common Rider movies that had some really wild creature stuff. Like they pumped a little bit more money into them. And it's just like an era of cinema and a type of cinema that I'm sad is not really a thing anymore. And it's, it's like a whole, I feel like this hole in my media consumption that is not being satisfied by anything right now. Like, I don't feel like there's any Netflix originals that are that like really deliver on that kind of like, beat-em-up monster stuff that i grew up on as a kid like that like this movie is very much what kids steve wanted to find at the video store like it's very much the like perfect encapsulation of the movie that i wanted to find and could never quite get to the heights of like not to say that there's lots of awesome stuff that i love but this one just kind of mashes all those things together into one thing
2: if this was next to a copy of, you know, bleeders with
3: the blood pack cover, which one would you have grabbed? You <laughs> <laughs> will see. I think PG would need to have like the dead pit cover with the light up eyes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> and glow in the dark. Yeah, glow in the dark, and you press the you press the like kind of raised cover, and the eyes would light up, and it would start screaming for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> that all was always freaked me out as a kid is that and then what was it metamorphosis yeah it was the other one that had the light up eyes I have a very vivid memory as a kid of looking at that cover and being very bothered by it a movie I've never seen probably never will see but I'll remember that cover oh yeah I,
2: I was so happy when I found a copy on VHS of Bleeders with the blood pack still intact it's like oh yes three bucks I'm definitely buying this <laughs> still have never watched
3: it but it's it's on a display you know yeah, VHS was art. <laughs> well, that's, that is something of that era that I'm really sad is not, not around anymore. I, I feel like part of movies and consuming movies is that journey to the store and examining these covers and like having just that pre-movie experience of like imagining what you want this movie to be by looking at the cover. Uh, I really feel like that's missing now. You don't get that scrolling through. Amazon Prime quite as yeah. much, yeah, not having that that tactile quality of holding a thing in your hand and looking at it and and just being wowed by whatever the painted cover was, whatever gimmick they had on display. <laughs> Well, that and also a lot of
2: like cover art, uh, the cover art for PG is great. You guys have been doing an awesome job of completely selling this movie. But just in general, like when you're scrolling through, because I do like trying to find like the hidden gems and stuff, but like the cover sometimes these days, it's just such bad photoshopping <laughs> or just like lazily put together. It's just like, ah, and I don't feel mo- like I'll get suggested and immediately feel unmotivated to watch something. the, the same
0: girl crawling away from a guy's legs oh. or <laughs>
3: Shit. Yeah. That that Photoshop job that has been used on like ten covers of yeah, it's like a girl with like her hands out and she's got long dark hair. It, uh, I don't yeah. know. Who, I don't know what exec decided. Like, yeah, that's that'll sell this movie. But uh, I'm sure sick of it.
2: And they, and they do the same thing with X Men movies. X Men movies are plagued by terrible Photoshop
3: posters, or it's just like I don't think they've ever had a good cover. Yeah, I don't get it. I, I think marketing is its own weird beast. Unfortunately that I, as a filmmaker, I have very little control over. Thankfully our distributors have been really good about uh, like, like being honest and upfront about like, there has to be a certain look visually for cover to sell it in like a Walmart. And so we have like alternate art that's specifically that that's like the Photoshop job that if we just had that, I would be pretty disappointed. But they were nice enough to spring for the Graham Humphreys uh, like painted poster, that official art, which is fantastic. And I love it. Um, But we've also got like so many other posters, like, (laughs) like we've got like so much art for this movie. It's not even out yet. And there's posters that I haven't even, we haven't even released yet. (laughs) Uh, Like there's one that's a parody of uh, the movie, I don't know if you remember the Sinbad movie, House Guest from the 90s, but that movie has <laughs> yeah. a very distinct poster. And yeah. so I have, I commissioned a poster for PG that's an homage to that. <laughs> nice. Uh, that I don't know how it's going to be released and what format, but eventually it'll be out there and it's pretty great. I, I like that this is the kind of movie that has, there, there's like a broad spectrum of like types of covers you could do for this. Cause I do feel like this is the kind of movie that if it was released in the late 80s, early 90s could run the gamut of like painted cover like the humphreys cover or it could even be just like still picture of pg like silhouetted with the title like like that kind of like super simplistic cover like it like it could go for like fun fun goofy kids fantasy and it can go for like dark scary in its promotion so i like that there's that kind of range and i look forward to seeing what other people do with it because that's half the fun of making movies now is just seeing what kind of crazy art fans come up with so i'm sure there'll be some good stuff
2: yeah i'm surprised you guys didn't do a parody of like uh how oh, that the fred savage movie uh little monsters
3: <laughs> oh well that isn't that cover just the it's just the two of them yeah back to back I feel like we do have some promotional material that's kind of close to that. When when you see the house guest poster, you'll be satisfied, I think. It very much encapsulates like 90s kids adventure, like like family adventure nonsense uh, that looks very light, very lighthearted for what the content actually is. So, yeah, we definitely have stuff going in that direction.
2: Which that's the movie to a T because you'll have some like lightheartedness going on and then it, it cuts to PG going, I'm going to murder you. I'm gonna make you
3: suffer, <laughs> like, oh, and then and then the little kid just goes, "Okay, bye." <laughs> yeah, like that's. I love that kind of delusion in stories where, and really, it's just a movie of a bunch of delusional people dealing with a delusional monster. It's like everybody's in their <laughs> own little world, and nobody is stopping to go. Like, none of this makes sense. This is bad. Everybody is like, <laughs> like living out the tropes of a '90s kids adventure movie. And ignoring the consequences and i think that's <laughs> that's the charm of it is like oh, do, oh let's ignore the fact that on the tv pg's blowing up half the world like you know <laughs> our family is whole again and that's really what it's all about family right so
1: uh, i was gonna say i loved adam brooks's character is kind of the uh uh comically oafish sitcom dad
3: comically oafish oafish until he uh, has to do have to do a flip off of a set of shelves and then suddenly he's super capable but (laughs) aside from that uh, yeah I I love I I wrote that character with Adam in mind because I knew he was the only person to pull it off and uh, boy did he deliver it's it was just great having him on set and being like how can we make this dumber like I've set the groundwork (laughs) (laughs) I I find like, especially with scripts, like that's kind of the, my least favorite part of making films because it's such a a blueprint to me. It's not actually what you're going to get because it's that moment on set when I'm standing there with Adam and we're going like, you, you like broke the microwave how do you react to that and then you're just (laughs) filming long takes of him like starting to tear up while slowly zooming in on his face and it's like that's where that stupid magic happens and adam is well all the astron guys are the best for that it's like you just gotta get to set and you gotta get a camera on them and let them go and then everything you get is magic
1: and i also wanted to ask like just how did you come up with all of PG's powers? Cause like just, eh, he's, he's got so many and just, he makes good use of them. Uh,
3: that was a case of, uh, I came up with the powers as the plot needed them to be. Uh, it was very much a, like, like, like I would come up with a scenario and then I would come up with like, what is the most left turn thing that he can do right now to totally throw people off? And then I would just go in that direction or like what needs to happen to advance the plot. And then (laughs) PG can magically do that because that to me is, is a trope that I love. And I feel like I'm kind of making fun of it throughout the movie. The like the fix all MacGuffin where it's like, like the gem is this thing that has powers that can control PG sometimes, but not really other times. Like it's, it's only really like just, a way to like push the plot forward. I I made a very conscious decision when writing this to not get bogged down in that logic. And if anything, just draw attention to how stupid it is because the movie would have been real boring. If I got, if I, if I built a mythology that made too much sense, like half (laughs) the movie wouldn't even happen. And, And so I, I just embraced the nonsense of it. Um, and, you know, not to, like, spoil the end of the movie, but, like, like how MacGuffins ultimately end up meaning nothing in every movie, like, drawing <laughs> attention to that as well. Um, and so, yeah, that applied to PG's powers, where it was just, like, like, like taking a bunch of, like, leftover ideas of other stuff I had and being like, well, what should he do in this scenario? Like, what what's his idea of giving a character an honorable death and then running down a list of nonsense I've come up mm-hmm. with and seeing... <laughs> Which which one would throw the audience the most in committing to that? I definitely don't want to spoil
2: the, the warrior's death that PG gives people because that is a highlight. It is one yes. of my favorite bits in something I've seen, in anything I've seen recently, and... I, I just the only thing I have to ask when it comes to the warrior's deathbed is that actually his culture's thing or is that just something he himself came up with being like oh yeah this is it this is a true warrior's death because everyone seems so against
3: it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, th- I think it is a case of like in PG's mind it makes sense, but to <laughs> nobody else. <it> makes sense. <laughs> in everyone- the same way that crazy crazy ball makes sense to Mimi but makes no sense to anyone. <laughs> like his. His logic of what, like, what honor is, is entirely specific to PG and no one else. And the reason he gets away with it is because he's this ultimate being that can just totally dominate the universe. So Uh. it's, people don't accept it. They, (laughs) you know, nobody accepts what he does to them, but PG is totally okay with it, if that makes (laughs) any sense.
2: Oh yeah. It was just one of those funny bits of of just like the constant like in my culture, you know, this is the way a warrior dies. And it's just like after a while you're like, I I don't think so. We're meeting a lot of people from like his area and like none of them are liking this.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I just thought that <laughs> yeah, was hilarious. That's a good point. <laughs> Let's wrap this up. Um, Steven, what is next from you? You got anything on deck? Uh well. As you guys can see behind me, I've got some stop motion figurines on the go.
3: Uh, I, you know, because we're still in a pandemic, I've got some stuff uh, that I'm working on at home. Some animation I want to do, some like proof of concept type stuff, and some little animated shorts that I've been making. Uh, Because yeah, when quarantine hit, I started kind of bringing back my my uh, little stop motion setup that I used to have, and really got into that. So after making pg and especially after uh like i shot four episodes of the day of the dead tv series uh from august to no well beginning of december i guess uh was such an exhausting experience shooting a series in a pandemic that i i think i'm going to stick to my stop motion and and writing for the next little while
0: psycho gorman the
3: 22nd right january 22nd yes yeah that is whatever
0: theatrical is that's what yeah. it's gonna be <laughs> this this episode will post on the 18th so if you listen to this the first week friday is psycho Gourmet. so go see it uh steven thank you very much for being here with us yeah thanks for having me where can everybody follow you do you have a twitter you got uh some kind of uh, social media uh, or i'm not on twitter but well i actually have two instagram
3: accounts uh Archduke Nightmare is one of them. That one is more uh, dog centric. Uh, but if you want to go to my Kill Kostansky account, um, that account is primarily just my effects work. Uh, so I recommend everyone go to that one because uh, I post uh, stuff about my little stop motions that I'm doing and pictures of past uh, effects and movies I've done. So yeah, that's that's the place if you want if you need your Steve Kostanski fix. Go to
0: Kil on Instagram. Right on. Oh, cool. The, um, our theme music is by Restless Spirit, so go check them out. Our artwork is by Chris Fisher, so go check him out. Uh, you can find any of us um, at the ion on Horror Facebook page, the Eye Horror Facebook page, the iOn Horror Twitter, the ion Horror Instagram, uh, ihorror.com. Am I missing any, Korea? Uh, I horror the flamethrower.
1: <laughs> the flamethrower. We got. We got the a flame. kids
0: love that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, And
2: wait for next next year when we make the laser. Uh, we got a laser to develop <laughs>
4: We're
2: we're we're stuck on the concept on what color we want it to be. I wanted green. <laughs> uh, the people say that purple is stronger. I like the purple, but it's a whole thing.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so yeah, we're not hard to find. So if you want to at us for any reason, uh, get at us. Um. And we will see you in a couple of weeks. So, uh, for me, James J. Edwards. I'm Jacob Davison. I'm Jonathan Korea. And I'm Steve (laughs) Kostansky. Keep your eye on horror.